Well, it's good to be here today and good to see you guys. I uh, hope that you've had a, a great week this past week and looking forward to, uh, to next Sunday, the fall family fun day. It's going to be a lot of fun. And one thing I, I do want to mention about that day next week so you can kind of be planning for this and, uh, and just so that you are aware. Uh, every year for the past several years, we've had a great event around here uh, kind of centered around Christmas where we've had sort of an interactive experience with watching the Polar Express film. And if you've ever been to that, you know how much fun it is. We make it snow in here and geysers going off, all kinds of cool stuff. It's great for kids, but great for the whole family. This year, we're going to be doing three showings of that. And in the past, what we've kind of done is like let it be sort of word of mouth. We've told you guys, and you guys have brought friends. And, and we usually pack this place out a couple of times. We've added a third showing this year, and we are going to be promoting to the public a lot more. Uh, this year in hopes that people in our community will come and, and just uh, hang out with us and get to know them a little bit. But tickets are going to be available next weekend. Uh, we're going to make them available to you guys first, and, and I guarantee you they're going to go fast. We're, we've got a big banner we're going to drop on the side of the Family Life Center, and when that thing drops, I would imagine they're going to go pretty quick. So if you want to be part of that, if you are talking about, thinking about your family or guests that you might want to bring, be sure next weekend to reserve your tickets and uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time, and really excited about it. Now, Thanksgiving Sunday, also coming up on November the 20th, uh, that's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and we're going to be sending out, you'll be getting a letter from the church this week, and uh, letting you know a little bit more about that every year. We, uh, we, we do a couple of special things, one of those is taking up a special offering, and so you'll be getting some information from us about what that is, and we're really excited about how we're going to be able to make a difference uh, in, in our church and in the community. Now, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know, we, we've been studying the New Testament book of Philippians. Actually, Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, a church that he dearly loved, and, and the main theme of the entire letter is joy. Uh, in fact, I think that Philippians really is God's guide to, to deeper joy and how to have that in your life. And what we're learning together is that joy does not depend on your circumstances. It shouldn't be affected by what's happening around you. But I think if we were to do a, uh, a survey of all of us, and I were to ask you the question, what's the one thing that keeps you from having joy in your life? Uh, I, I would guess that the number one answer would be stress. I just feel a lot of stress in my life. You know that feeling when you're, when you're dealing with a situation that's beyond your control and you're trying to manage, but, but the physical and the emotional tension that you feel, you know, you get the knots in the stomach, the, 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 the things that are just kind of making you on high alert. What are the things that are, are stressing you out today? What are the things that make you anxious or nervous or angry or frustrated? Yeah, I don't know today, I don't know specifically what the Holy Spirit wants you to get out of this message today, uh, but I know that He will teach it to you, but what I really hope I can do is just share with you what He's taught me this week, and what I've learned, and, and you know, it would, so, it would just be so nice if we could just wave a wand and make stress go away, make the problems disappear, the things that we are worked up about, but we know that that's not the way it works, and, and that's where a lot of our problems and our lack of joy comes from is in the, abil the lack of ability to control those things. I want to be able to be in control a little bit, and so I think about those of us 
You're here today and you're having trouble sleeping or we're dealing with high blood pressure and maybe you're self-medicating with food or, or drugs or alcohol or shopping, gambling. Maybe, maybe it's aggressive driving. I don't know how you, how you little let the pressure valve off a little bit. Uh, I, I think it's kind of crazy how you can literally see the stress of people around you and you look at how they drive sometimes. You can tell who's dealing with some stress. The other day I was taking my kids to school. Uh, it was early in the morning, a little after 7 o'clock in the morning. We are driving. We were on National Turnpike. And it's just like it's always kind of stressful and people are always kind of zooming around and cutting you off and trying to jockey for position. And we're driving down National Turnpike and and uh, come up right near the, uh, the South Park Tap School, and a, a school bus pulled right out in front of traffic, and a, the truck next to me uh, just had to slam on his brakes and couldn't avoid and just T-boned that, that school bus. And it's like this moment where sitting there, everybody stops, you know, all the traffic stops, and you almost feel it. It's like all the stress, and we all sit there and, and wonder, like, what just happened? What, what is going on here with all of us? And why are, why are, you know, what are we doing? Stress comes into your mind, and then it, it manifests itself in the body. And your body gives you some indicators. You know, when you're feeling that tension, there, there's some things that happen. And, and I'm convinced you're going to respond in one of four ways. For some of us, uh, we, we fight. You know, you've always heard fight or flight. You know, that's one of the things. You, you say, no, I'm not going down like this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lose. I, I'm going to find a way to overcome this. And so you, you fight, and I'm going to hold my ground. You can tell with people that they literally tighten up. People who literally they just get stiff, and they get the crazy eyes, and their voice escalates because they're, they're, they're going to fight. Others of you are flight, like I'm out of here. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not talking to you. I'm not going to return your email. You can just check me into the witness protection program because I'm checking off the face of the earth. I'm not, not going to deal with this. But there, there's fight, flight, or fright. Some people get panicked. And, and I think that's a lot of times what we associate with anxiety is uh, the, the fear aspect. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. They don't know what to do. They can't make a decision. They're just overwhelmed. If I, if I do this, then this will happen. They just feel paralyzed and stuck. But I, I believe there's a fourth response that we can have that hopefully we, we will have, and that's faith. That we would be people who are inviting the Lord into the circumstances so that even if things don't change externally, God is certainly wanting to change us internally. He wants to do a, a good work in you. And that's exactly what we're going to learn today in Philippians 3. You can imagine the kind of stress that Paul had to have been under. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell. He was arrested because he's preaching Jesus. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him next. Uh, he doesn't know if he's going to live, die, be released, be convicted. Even if he's released, he has no family. Uh, he's, he's lost everything. There's a lot that he could be stressed about and somehow he has a supernatural peace and I, I believe that is the thing that we're all chasing more than anything else in this life I just want to have peace I just want to be at peace I don't want to feel the highs and the lows I just where can I find contentment where can I find satisfaction where is it that's why we keep buying that's why we keep chasing the carrot on the stick Paul has, and I want to show you today what I feel like God has shown me and in, this, in this section. We're going to see three 
characteristics, really three hallmarks, three defining things that really define joyful people. And I'm sure there's more than three, but these are, these are the three things that I see in these, these next few verses that were meaningful to me. First is, is what I recognize, what we're going to see, is that joyful people are people who are eager to learn from others. You, you, might, you might think about it as being mentored, having a, a mentorship. I've told you this before, but in case you haven't heard it, I really believe there are three vital relationships that every one of us have to have. You have to have a Paul, you have to have a Barnabas, and you have to have a Timothy. And if you know those characters in Scripture, you know, you kind of get the, the image, I guess. But Paul is the person that's pouring into you. That's the mentor for you. Every one of us has got to have someone in our life that we can look at that's a little further down the road, a little more mature than we are, that we can sort of, sort of seek to, to live as they live. You need that relationship. But you also need the Barnabas, which is kind of like the... the the unwavering friend. You need the person that's going to be there through thick and thin. Who's, who's the one that's going to support you in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? You've you got to have that partner that you guys are kind of in the same place. And then you also need the Timothy, which is the person that you're pouring into. Who's looking to you? Who is the person looking at your life for guidance and for, for motivation? This is what Paul says. He, he steps back in Philippians 3. And he makes a huge statement in verse 17. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Now, that's a big deal. That's a big thing that he says. Pattern your lives after mine. There is a leadership lesson there for us. I hope you don't miss it. I hope you don't write that off as just being too simple. For businesses, for family, for ministry, those of you who are teachers, wherever you work, I mean, in, in, in all, all the, the, uh, the, the circles that you are in, this is a great lesson. Pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. How many of your, you, uh, when you were growing up, your parents would say to you, do as I say, not as I do? Uh, another word for that would be hypocrisy, uh, you know. What they're telling you is, hey, I'm going to tell you what you need to do, and I expect you to do these things, but I'm not, I'm not doing them myself. But you should, because I know that, that would be good for you. What does Paul say? He doesn't say, do as I say, not as I do. He says, you should do this because this is what I do. These are the things I'm doing. He's living a faithful life. He said, follow me as I follow Jesus. I, and, and he's not perfect, but... The whole purpose and goal is to tell whoever is following you, this is, this is what I do. This is good. These are the things that God has called us to. And I am continuing to, to work on them. So that's why you know, we, we say we read our Bibles. We, we pray. We walk with the Lord. We participate in his family. Whatever the case may be, Paul's saying, I'm not perfect, but I'm living in such a way that other people can follow my example. And he's saying, and you should. Pattern your life, your life after mine. As I pattern my life after Jesus, we all need this. We all need someone in our life that you're looking at. And you say, they, I'm not quite where they are, but I want to be. I know a lot of people who kind of resist that. Because they think, you know, and maybe it's that rebellious independent streak that we have sometimes. Where we think, I don't need anybody. 
I just need me and Jesus. Me and Jesus are good, and I'm going to follow God the way that I want to follow God, and that's going to be good enough. And, and that sounds like, okay, well, may, maybe so. But the truth of the matter is you, none of us were made to be able to, to go on this journey of following Jesus to get, uh, alone. We were made to do it together. We are made to do it as a family. That's the reason we have the church, so that you have brothers and sisters that are there. And all those relationships, the Pauls, the Barnabases, the Timothys, Every one of us needs to have someone that we're looking at and that we're saying, I'm not where they are, but I want to be someday. Maybe you've heard the expression, habits are more easily caught than taught. When I'm looking at you and I'm looking at your habits and I'm looking at the things that, that makes you faithful to God, it's, it's easier for me to catch those things rather than for you to try to explain them to me as I'm watching a person's life. And it's not to copy them, it's not to lose myself as an individual. It's not that I want to be a little cookie cutter, but, but to follow these great examples. That's what our, our goal as followers of Jesus is, to become more like Christ. I, I love this love this quote by Dallas Willard. This is one of those that I had to read it about four or five times to really soak it in. Because Dallas Willard, great theologian. Uh, and so you, you, as I put this quote on the screen, you might want to take a picture of it with your phone if you've got to go back and look at it and reread it again. But this is what he says. He says that Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then, when we do that, the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. I, I really like that. It's not just about trying to you know, because there, there are days and there are moments where you're, you're feeling weak, you're feeling, you know, you know I, I feel like I'm not meeting my potential and who I'm supposed to be in Christ. So it's not about me just trying to, okay, what did Jesus do? Let me just do those. Let me just try to check off boxes. It's not about just trying to do what he did, but to be who he was, to be more like him. Because when you do that, when you're becoming more like Jesus than doing what he did and, and, say, and saying what he said becomes the natural expression of who we are. Because it's who we are. The most joyful people that I've ever known, where they just kind of exude just joy and peace and contentment, and you look at them and you say, man, I wish I had what they have. That those people are the most like Jesus. That's why Paul says, pattern your lives after mine as I follow, as I follow Christ. It's, it's an eagerness to grow. Joyful people are eager to grow. They're eager to learn from others. They don't say, oh, I've got this all figured out. I don't need anybody. Real, true, deeper joy are those who are eager to pattern their lives after others. There's another characteristic of joyful people that I see in this text, though, and it seems kind of unusual at first. It seems like a contradiction. But joyful people also know grief. You think, well, I can't have, can, can you have both of those? If you're, joy, if you're joyful, then you shouldn't be grieving, right? I don't think they're at odds. I believe that joyful people can also be people who know what it feels like to grieve and to experience that. It's encouraging to know you, you, you can have pain and grief in your life, and it doesn't, that doesn't mean that you don't have joy. Now, if you, uh, if you want to see a physical example of that, of how they can exist at the same time, just go to a funeral service for a faithful Christian person. You will see joy and grief at the same time in this beautiful and, and, and supernatural kind of way. How can, we, how can we be grieving and longing for the person 
and yet we wouldn't want them to be back with us. It's a, it's a strange thing, and yet there it is. Grief and joy really can exist together. And I really want you to pay attention to what Paul says here, where the source of his grief is. He says, I have told you often before, in verse 18, I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are, though, there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. So here's the source of his grief. If you have people that you know, you have people in your life that do not know Jesus, you, you have people that in your life that are not following Christ, it ought to break our hearts. It should be heartbreaking for us. It should be a, a cause of grief for us. When you think of them, it should be with sorrow. Paul says with tears in his eyes. He's talking about people who don't know, him, don't know the Lord, and, and that's a heartbreak. Uh, I, I need you to know this. You have to understand this, that as Christians, you and I, we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. This is the heart of God, and it has to be our heart too. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to be like this. We have to be people who grieve for those who are lost. Because we, we can't stand the fact to, to know that this person could, might not be with the Lord. Our hearts are broken, our tears are shed until they come to know God, the God who loves them, because we love them. You know, one thing that's easy to do, I, I'm going to tell you, and a lot of us, we get there easy. It is very easy, especially the longer that you're following Jesus, to become hard-hearted. And to kind of take the attitude of, well, people have had every opportunity. If they choose not to follow, well, too bad for them. But I'm going to be in heaven so, sorry for them, sorry that it didn't work out, but they, they should have, you know, could have, whatever. And we lose the, the sense of, I don't know, passion for them, grief. We're not grieving the fact that there are people that are going to be separated from Christ for eternity. It's heartbreaking when somebody doesn't know the Lord Jesus. And for those of us who do know him, those of us who, that is, that is who we are and it's a part of our life, we, just, we would say to those of you who do not know the Lord, that there is a God who loves you. There's a God who seeks you. There's a God who wants to save you. He is pursuing you. He can forgive you, and his name is Jesus. And he wants you to be a part of his family. And until we met him, our life was not complete. Our life was, was miserable and hopeless. It, it, it wasn't near where it could have or should have been. But once we've met him, we wouldn't trade him for anything. That's how much it means to us. Paul's heart is broken. And here's what he says about these people. In verse 19, he says, they're headed for destruction. There's no rose-colored glasses here. He's just calling it as it is. He's just, I mean, in a, in a culture where we're kind of afraid of truth, and we want to redefine truth, Paul's really laying it out for us. This is God's word. He says, here's the truth. There are people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, and it breaks my heart because they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, meaning they're just pursuing lustful things. They're pursuing the things of the flesh. You know, they, they want what they want. It says they brag about shameful things. They're, you know, they're, they're bragging about things that they should almost be ashamed of. And they only think about this life here on earth. It should really grieve us. I'm afraid sometimes that the church, you know, the, the big church around the world... Now, sometimes those of us who are part of it kind of act as though it's a, 
social club or a country club, and well, you know, we're part of it, and you're not, so too bad for you and good for us. The most important job, the biggest mission that Jesus gave us is to go and to, to reach the lost, to grieve until they come to know him. And, and, and there's this contrast. You wouldn't think it would be this way. And yet the most joyful people that I know, the most joyful people that I know, those that rejoice in the Lord the most, they also have the most passion for lost people. And maybe it's because they just aren't thinking of themselves all the time. Maybe that's what it is. But they've learned the secret to contentment. They know what's ultimately the most important thing in life. And it's not about money. It's not about status. It's not about fame or recognition, but it's about mission. Jesus gave me a mission. He said, I want you to go. Knowing that there's no greater joy in life. There is no greater joy in life than helping one lost person find hope in Jesus Christ. You just, there is no more hope. I mean, that is the greatest feeling, sense of joy you'll ever have. And it comes from God. That feeling that you express, it it is coming straight from the Lord. There's one way that we can know that we're growing in our relationship with God. One of the hallmarks is that we're passionate about lost people. Is that we love them. And we're not annoyed by them. They may do annoying things. But we're not annoyed by them. We love the person because God loves the person. And we see them with his eyes. And our heart is that they might come to know him. I'm not here to try to lecture you. I'm not trying to browbeat you or beat you over the head with a Bible until you get it. I'm here to love you because I want you to know that you are loved. One of my favorite parables in the whole Bible. Jesus would often tell these stories that have a deeper meaning. And one of my favorites is in Luke 15. He tells three stories actually. One about a lost son. One about a lost coin. But he tells this one. It says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Well, wouldn't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost Sheep, you see how he feels about this. And here's the third time he's going to say the word joy. He says, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. That's, you want to know what God is passionate about? You want to know what his heart is for? Here it is. Lost people. Joyful people also know grief. Paul says, I have tears in my eyes when I think about those who are headed for destruction. We can have joy, but it's amazing to me the relationship between sorrow and joy. I don't think you can have one without the other. I think you need both to be complete. And then then he pivots. This is the last characteristic of of people living with joy that I, I see in this passage. This should give us great hope today. Is that joyful people, they long for heaven. It's it's a strange thing. Where I don't fear death. Not that I'm seeking death. Not that I'm just hoping to die today. But it's not a fear. Because I know what's coming. And I long for that day. And as wonderful as there are moments in this life. There are wonderful moments in this life. That I think, honestly, I think the wonderful moments are the, we get a little foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. And it just makes me thirst for it that much, that much more. One of the biggest contrasts between those 
who are following Jesus and those who aren't. We know where we're headed. We know what lies after death. And we don't fear it. We long for it. It's not that we're seeking it, but we just know one day God's going to call us home. J.K. Chesterton, he, uh, he described the world and our relationship to it. He said it's, it's kind of like living in the remains of a shipwreck. You think about what that would be like. It's like you, you live in the world. You're, it's like living in the remains of a shipwreck. We find many treasures, but clearly things are not as they should be. Something's wrong. Ever since you know, we were born into this world, we're, we live in a broken world. We recognize that there are good things and there are wonderful moments. And, and we praise God for those things. But we also know something is, is very, very wrong. Occasionally you get the privilege of talking to someone that's close to the end. They're, they're, they know that their time on earth is just about over. And they know that they're going to meet the Lord. And they'll say, you know, I'm just ready to go home. And they don't say it, they don't say it in a way where they have tears in their eyes. It's just, I know what's coming, and I'm just ready to go home. I'm ready to be with my Savior. You're going to see this contrast that Paul makes. I've got tears in my eyes for those who don't know Jesus. They are headed for destruction. But here's who we are. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting. For him to return as our Savior. The main deal here is the world needs Jesus. We know that. We understand that. Our whole planet, every race, every culture, every person needs Jesus. And nothing else is going to fix it. Nothing else is going to fix this world. Nothing else is going to fix this country or these communities. We like to talk about that and say, well, we just need this to happen. And that will straighten things out. No, it won't. Because there will be a, a whole list of another long list of problems the only thing that's going to fix the world is jesus we need a second coming that's what paul talks about we're eager for him to come back because when he comes back he'll fix it once and for all and then he says this is when this happens he will take our weak mortal bodies and he'll change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control you know it gets discouraging sometimes when you wake up and there's another ache there's another pain. There's another body part that doesn't work like it used to. I don't have as much energy. I don't have as much drive. I don't, you know, whatever. All, all these things that are happening to us are little reminders that these bodies weren't meant to last forever. And one day, Jesus says, God's word says, he's going to change our mortal bodies into bodies like his own, using the same power which he'll bring everything under his control. Some of you long for that. I long for that. Now, one thing that he does here, he's, and, and we can't miss this, he's making a distinction between residence and citizenship. And there is a difference. Residence is where you live today. Citizenship is where you live forever. And the question is, where does your and my ultimate loyalty and identity originate? Is it in your residence or is it in your citizenship? And he says, what Paul is saying is for those who do not know the Lord Jesus, they ultimately have no concept beyond their residence, where they're from, where they live, who they are, their culture, whatever. They, they don't have anything beyond that. All they think, all they know is this world and this is it. He says, I got tears in my eyes because... 
this world is all that they know. This world is all that they want. And they brag about these things. He says, they don't know that there's another world that's going to overtake this world. They don't know that there's something else coming. This world is sinful and broken and really messed up. But that world is perfect. And he, he's already told them, you know, and you go back to the beginning of the letter, the, the book of Philippians. He says, he's writing, he says, hey, this is Paul. I'm writing to the church at Philippi. That was their residence. They lived in the city of Philippi. It's, it's their, the place that they were. Some of you, you live in Jefferson County, or you live in Bullitt County, or you, you live in Fairdale, Shepherdsville, Auburndale, Shively, Beachmont, the greater Louisville area, wherever you happen to come from. That is your residence. That's where you reside. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, it's not your citizenship. Your citizenship is in heaven. God's word tells you that. That one day the, the nation, the city, the community that you are a part of right now will come to an end. It will cease. And all that will be is the kingdom of God. And you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so what he's telling us is live for the future. Look above your circumstances. Don't allow your joy to be affected by what happens around you. Look above culture. Look above how others live so that you can find Jesus the king. You know, live as a citizen of his kingdom, which is, you need to know, it's, it's, a, it's a countercultural way of life. Because I'm a citizen of heaven, I don't see the world the way the rest of the world sees the world. I don't see my life the way that people who don't follow Jesus see my life. And I, I, we're God's people. People will say, well, that's just the way the world is. You know, get used to it. This is just how it is. And this is the way things are going. And this is culture. And this is what it is. That's just what people do. Not God's people. That's not the way we see things. And it's not the way we do things. We, that's why we do money differently. Because we recognize that everything comes from God. That it's his and he's entrusting it to me for a little bit of time. I'm stewarding it. And he says, steward this well. Be generous. I'll provide for you as you provide for others. That's why we do money differently. We do relationships differently. In a world who says, you know what, if it's not working out, then I bail. And I ghost people. And I do this sort of thing where Jesus says, we continue to pursue. We continue to love as he loved us. We continue to seek reconciliation. Why? The world says, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Because we follow God. We do gender differently. When in a world that says, well, you can just say whatever you want it to say. We say, no, God made them male and female. We understand that because that's what God told us. We do family differently. We, we don't cut off family members and say this and that and, and, and raise our kids, you know, well, I just want them to explore and experiment and whatever they want to do. We recognize that we've been given this sacred duty that God has entrusted us with a life to raise them, to honor the Lord. And we understand that we don't do things the way the world does things because we're different. Because this is our residence. But our citizenship is in heaven, our ultimate allegiance our ultimate loyalty is to King Jesus. This is what we talked about last week. Paul said, this is what I do. Forget what's behind and look forward to what lies ahead. So I want to close with this. Um, I just want to give you one challenge. I always like to just, if I could give you one thing to walk out of here and say, okay, what could I try? What could I do that would increase my joy this week? Make the effort. To find the good every day. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. And that's what we do. I, I, as a side note, 
Thanksgiving, I think, is probably, one, it's probably my favorite holiday because it's like the one holiday that hasn't been totally taken over by, you know, just, just the, you know, where you feel the stress, like I've got to buy the perfect gift and I've got to do the things and all the, it just feels like it's, there's just a purity to it. Where it's like, yeah, I'm going to get together with family and friends, we're going to eat, and we're going to think about what we're grateful for. Like, I, it's just pure, you know, I love it. But if we could do that every day, you know, I told you last week that there was a, a study that was done by several psychologists, and what they found is what determines happiness. How do we know what makes a person happy? And what they found is that only 10% is external circumstances. 10% of your happiness is affected by what happens around you. But we think it's way more than that, but it's only 10%. 50% is a set point, meaning your personality, like how you're wired by God. And some of us, we just tend to be a little more negative. You know, we should work on that and try not to be. But, you know, you just may be a little bit more of a pessimist than you are an optimist. And whatever, that's, that's fine. But find the good there. But 40%, 40% of what determines whether or not you are happy is what you choose to think about. That's so curious to me. It's what I set my mind to. And so that's my challenge. Find the good every day. Look around you. Look for people who are doing that. Look for people that, are, that always find something to be grateful for. How can you pattern your life after that person? How can you make the effort? How can you look for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with somebody around you? Just to let them know God loves you. Not in a weird way or, hey, I'm trying to be you know, strange or creepy. But I just want you to know you got a God that loves you. And I, and I care about you too. You know, how can, we, how, how can we do those things? That would be a good thing for us to seek as we live with a focus. How can we live with a focus on heaven? How can I be looking forward to what's coming and recognizing I'm a citizen of heaven? I reside in Kentucky or Indiana. I reside here, but my citizenship is in heaven. And how can we share those stories? A few weeks ago, there was a really scary thing that happened to one of our families here. Some of you know uh, one of our... our Great family, Trey and Heather Dunn, and Trey plays drums for us occasionally, um, and uh, just wonderful people. I mean, they both serve just so selflessly, and uh, they have had several health scares over the years with some, just some different things, just been through a lot as a family. I have an infant daughter that was born a few months ago. Her name is Harmony, cute, sweet little girl, and uh, a few weeks ago, she was sick. So they took her to the doctor and had her checked out. She was having a little, little respiratory stuff going on. And it, they, they were checking her out. And they, they said, well, you know, not sure what it is. It might be RSV. And uh, they said, well, you know, she's doing okay. Just you guys go home. Take her home. Just keep an eye on her and, you know, try to do some, you know, little treatments and things like that. And so they went home. And uh, the next day, Heather was cooking breakfast. And she looked over and Harmony was turning blue and it stopped breathing. And thankfully, uh, Trey working from home, and her mom was there who knows CPR and was able to do CPR on the baby and get her to breathe. They said it's just they kind of heard just a little whimper out of her and got in the car. And, and Trey says, "I've never driven so fast in my life." You know, Indy 500 had nothing on me to get to the hospital, and uh, took her to the ER. And the doctor said if they had waited even just a couple more minutes, she wouldn't have survived. But thankfully, she's doing great. Uh, but the day that this, the day that this happened, uh, we knew about it. We were praying about it. And uh, I was talking to Trey on the phone, and I, I said, man, I cannot imagine 
what you guys are going through, and you've had a couple of scares in the past with things, and, and uh, I, I'm just, I'm grateful she's okay. How are you holding up? And Trey said the craziest thing to me. He says, man, I'm going to tell you, I am, I'm so thankful to God that she's okay, obviously. I'm so grateful. But as weird as it sounds, I'm thankful for this whole thing because I am learning so much more about who God is, and I'm growing and maturing in my relationship with Jesus in a, in a, in a way that they were, I never would have had I not been going through these things. And I thought, man, there's a guy with a different perspective. He says, you know, my daughter almost died, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to go through this because Jesus has drawn us so much closer to him. And we're learning what it means to trust him in a whole new way. This guy knows some stuff that I don't know. He's found a way to be thankful. Find the good every day. Look for it. God, I am convinced, and I know this is true, he wants to change you from the inside out. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change who you are. You can have joy. You really can have it. You can choose it. That's the power and it's the call of Christ. Instead of being abused by the negativity of the world that's all around you, that's trying to suck you in, don't go there. Don't go where everyone else goes. Pattern your life after Jesus. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you about that. You say, I don't know. I need that. I want that. But I don't know where to begin. We've got volunteers. that will be right out in the lobby at the next steps area. As you walk out and you see the wall that says next step, just stop by. They'd love to pray with you. They, we, we, we can't fix it for you. We don't have all the answers, but we can sure listen, and we can sure pray. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be our teacher and our guide that leads us through that. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you, you have not only offered us joy, you've promised it. You promised that we can have joy in and through you. But Lord, sometimes it's hard for us to learn that process and it's, it is difficult because it seems, it seems elusive. It seems like uh, just something that maybe is for other people but not for us. I pray that you remind us today that you are at work in our life even if we're not feeling it. Even if we feel maybe hard-hearted today or we feel numb. Maybe some of us are just feeling overwhelmed, stress. Whatever that is, I pray that you would, that your Holy Spirit would break through, that you would speak to us and speak to our hearts in a, in a new way, that we know that you're with us, you're still loving us, you have not left us, and that joy is something that you've promised us. Help us to feel and experience that today. Help us to find the good. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.